Assalamu alaikum and hello. Welcome to another episode of the Mindful Muslim podcast where we discuss psychology, mental health, spirituality and Islam. Before we begin, please do follow us on social media and subscribe to our channel to stay updated on all things Inspirited Minds. We also have an exciting opportunity for you to support our initiative and support our projects by being a torchbearer for Inspirited Minds. And you can find more information on that in the description section of this video. We also value your honest feedback. So please do share your feedback either by commenting on this video or emailing us at feedback at inspiritedminds.org.uk. We hope you enjoy it. Welcome to another episode of the Mindful Muslim Podcast, where we are joined by the amazing Mindful Muslima. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. How are you, sis? I'm good, alhamdulillah. It's an honor to finally have you on. Um, for those of our viewers who don't know, can you please tell them just a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, I work, um, I've worked for 20 plus years offline in the community. Um, I was a licensed educator and consultant, and I did many things within um, the, the non-Muslim and the Muslim world in terms of education and, um, and helping with community building and, and different types of teaching in that regard. But I more recently came online and I did the podcast and we created an entire organization. And our sole purpose is to create a stronger identity and quality of life for Muslim women worldwide. So genuinely what I do every day is I come on um, online in the different various platforms we have, whether our school or our membership or our podcast or um, just basic workshops. And we help women go from that basic everyday surviving life to thriving as a woman of impact and kind of excelling in our Islamic identity, even though we're in a modern day world. So alhamdulillah, that's kind of what we, we work on a bit every day. Subhanallah, that's very, very inspiring. Um, we are huge fans of your podcast, especially, um, Subhanallah. And just, you know, the kind of topics that you talk about, I think they're very, very relevant and really helping to break down the stigma, you know, just around so many controversial issues that people don't want to talk about. Um, so let's talk a little bit about that, about Mindful Muslima Speaks, the podcast and um, your organization and how you've created it to be such a safe space for women. So can you tell us a bit more about that and how we can access that? Yeah, um, alhamdulillah, you know, like I said, I was working since the late 90s. So I'm a bit dated. You can tell my age from that. I was working <laughs> since the late 90s in, um, in da'wah and um, helping with women and the, the thing that I came across constantly was that Muslim women just weren't necessarily getting um, a voice in certain areas or getting resources that they need. Um, there was kind of um, not realistic always um, expectations or suggestions. And what I saw slowly by, you know, little by little was just women just really getting frustrated, almost like blaming Islam for their difficulties, and then almost sometimes even exiting out of the religion. There was a huge, um, I don't know, it was maybe like, oh, I don't know, maybe 10 to 15 years ago, there was, um, it was a, there was a really big trend of like taking off your hijab and things like that. And then when I saw that happen, and I saw women leaving the, the mosques and being more present on social media than in the centers, I got really concerned. From then, I ended up saying, gosh, I need to there has to be another voice on the airways. And so then I, I started up the podcast and I started putting out my messages and women, yeah, they started to take to them, alhamdulillah. Then we realized that they wanted more than just the podcast. They wanted to learn extended versions of what to do with those scenarios. So I put my teacher hat back on because that's myself as an educator. And I said, gosh, I have to put things into um, courses. And so I started to do that where they could learn about um, you know, marriage, how to find a spouse the right way, which is a huge topic now, and um, how to you know, master emotions or life balance and what have you. 
And then what happened was as we had these women learning and they were happy to learn, we realized that we were lacking community. We had women contacting us from maybe 150 different countries. So whether it is like Finland or Mexico or Pakistan, and it didn't matter where they were, they either felt either felt isolated within their communities or from their families, or they didn't have Muslims around them, or they had Muslims that weren't practicing and they wanted a bigger community. So that's when we made Thrive Muslima. And then Thrive Muslima, which is our global sisterhood, ended up becoming like all-encompassing. So basically, if you enter in, you can learn, you get community support, you get everything all in one place. And so now it's become like a hub where all the women come and have that support they always was uh, kind of existed. And that's where we are now. Wow, that's amazing. Um, just hearing you talk, you know, makes me realize that this is so needed, being part of a community, being um, understood and accepted, simple things, but they're so, so vital. You know, we, we did a study um, during COVID kind of trying to understand what are the barriers to accessing mental health support during a pandemic, during such a difficult time. And a lot of people just said that they felt so lonely. You know, they felt so lonely and didn't think that anyone would understand them if they even tried to seek mental health support. Mm -hmm. So it's so, so important just just having that community, having even one other person understand you and then, you know, building on that. It, it can, it's really life changing, isn't it? Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. And actually in COVID, I don't know about where you're located, but here in the States, um, for the Muslim community, um, the suicide rates or the suicide scares skyrocketed. I think what COVID did a little bit without getting too much into COVID was that it it kind of forced us to face ourselves, right? We keep ourselves busy. We're out there in the world going to weddings, going to work, going to parties, going to whatever it is that we're doing. But when we were forced to sit inside, sit with ourselves, sit with our thoughts and the things that irked us about everything that was happening in our lives, regardless of what it was, it was hard for many people. It was hard for many people to go, gosh, you know, this is my situation. Now I have to stare at it in the face every day where normally I can just keep busy. So yeah, mm -hmm. there was a lot of people who didn't know how to manage that manage their emotions, thoughts and all of that. So for sure. Yeah. That's when we found the need was like, it came out even more for sure. Definitely. And I think a lot of people who had those unhealthy coping mechanisms or who, who just really coped by not coping, I think all of those issues just came to the fore. You know, it's like, I can't ignore them anymore. I need to do something about it. Um, and, and that's very, very difficult to go through. And, you know, having something like this, this global sisterhood, I think is so important because of that. Because when you're really down, when you're, you know, in that frame of mind and you're struggling, it's important to know that you're not alone. That's the most important thing. Um, yeah. You've also said that you're kind of a nerd when it comes to mindful living. So can you tell us a bit more about that? What does it mean for you to live mindfully? Yeah, when I was younger, when I was a mom, I'm, I now have raised six and I have six grandchildren. So when I was a, wow, a mom in my earlier days, you know, yeah, I was kind of just trying to survive. I had a challenging marriage at the time and I was trying to, you know, the finances were difficult. And looking back now, you know, I realized that I was doing kind of everything by, you know, just the seat of my pants, just trying to make sure I can get the kids fed and get everybody their homework done and like appear at my job and do my job well. And I was exhausted and I was running around and I ran myself so um, down that I wasn't even aware that I was running myself down until it was too late. And many other things happened in my life after that. And I slowly realized that I was living so much on autopilot where I would just go with things and keep busy, kind of like what I mentioned before. And I really wasn't aware on how things were affecting me psychologically, emotionally, mentally, and even spiritually or at, at any level until I would like almost crash. And I think we've had those moments if, for the moms out there um, when and you just kind of do everything in the house as much as you can. The end of the night, you're like, oh, and you just like plop on the couch and you're just like, I am so exhausted. But I was doing that perpetually and I didn't have systems in place. I didn't have support systems. I was struggling with issues with my internal family, with my marriage, with my children, fear of finances, and none of that was on my radar. I just kept 
going, trying to make it day by day. And so mindful living is something I didn't stumble upon till I almost hit rock bottom within myself. And I think that that's how things happen sometimes in our life, right? So I'm there one day and I have my hands out to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I was at the point where I was contemplating all types of dark thoughts because I didn't realize what was happening until it got to like the too much level. And um, I really just poured my heart out to Allah and said, please help me. And Alhamdulillah, you know, slowly, like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does, he brings information in our life. He brings people in our life. And that's what happened to me, like all these beautiful ideas and concepts. And I understood and I stumbled upon muraqaba when Islam is like the, the, the consciousness, the mindfulness. You know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he talks about ghafilun, how most of us were sleepwalking. We're sleepwalking mm -hmm. through life. That's that autopilot, right? We're just, just moving through the motions. We're not feeling, we're not being. And so as I started to study these Islamic concepts and I started to understand what I was doing and not doing, um, it became really evident that living more mindfully, more conscious of everything was only going to, to put me into a better place with my, my Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala first, obviously, and then my family and the world. And since I've embraced that, it's been night and day in terms of my level of ease and happiness and lack of stress because I'm constantly monitoring myself um, instead of just letting things go until they get too much and then addressing them then. Wow. Just just hearing, you know, the, the kind of journey you've been on, I'm I'm sure it was it was very difficult in the beginning. You said that you didn't realize things were, you know, getting bad until you were in the thick of it. Um are you okay to share some of those signs or those like red flags so so to speak, just so you know, we're aware, we're aware of what these red flags look like before things get so bad. Yeah, I was realizing that I was having a lot of negative thoughts. The thoughts were really just perpetually negative. It wasn't like one day I woke up and I was like, oh, I'm having a bad day. It was like everything mm -hmm. started to feel like it was never going to get better. It was always going to be difficult. I was using these very permanent words that gave myself a lack of hope. So this was a flag for myself that things were really just getting too much. And then I wouldn't even want to sometimes get out of bed in the morning. I would say, gosh, I can't do this today. I can't get up again for my kids fighting for, you know, just like the small kids, you know, they're toddlers, they, they, they don't get along or whatever. I can't get up and, and then also be expected to cook and to clean. And, and it wasn't that I didn't have a lack of support. It was just, I, I think also myself, I didn't know how to ask for help or I didn't know how to prioritize things, like so many things, like nobody ever taught me. I think, you know, we're raised in our families. We tend to do like what our parents do, or we try to do things like in the best way we can. So, you know, for myself, there were these, these very permanent words that I was using. And there was this, um, I was, I was not asking for help when I could have asked for help and I didn't know how to prioritize. Um, and now I end up teaching all those things as a lot taught it to me as I ask for help. And, and so, um, the other thing is it trickles into our relationships, right? I found myself more easily frustrated and angry to the point where I couldn't, like sustain relationships in a healthy way. And so things felt like they were all spiraling out of control. And it wasn't that I wasn't still praying and I was still doing all that, alhamdulillah. But I felt like there wasn't with a, a ton of heart. It was just like, I don't want to do anything wrong as a Muslim. So here I am and I'm showing mm -hmm. up, but I wasn't in it. And I wasn't having like a full khushua, let's say. I was just trying to survive every day, which is why we have that tagline today to help other women. So much of what we do was my personal experience of struggle as well. And what I wish somebody would have told me back then to help me. And I wouldn't have had to take so long to figure it all out, you know? Yeah, I've heard that before as well. And even from my own personal experience, I can say that I wish there was someone there to tell me this. Um, and I think it kind of goes back to this culture of just silence, bearing things in silence and bearing things kind of like in, in, in a, especially for women, in a suppressed way. So that if it if things get hard, you quietly bear it. And apparently that's patience. And I'm putting it in quotation marks because that's not patience at all. Um and if things are good, then you say, Alhamdulillah, and you move on. But you never get a chance to just share these important things that, you know, there are such things as red flags and there are such things as going through a hard time and needing to do something about it. And even if someone doesn't tell you about it, you're still going to go through it, right? Yeah. Um, 
And it's very interestingly that you brought up about relationships and that's exactly what, you know, our episode is about today. So that's a perfect segue. Let's talk about relationships. They're kind of the center of us as individuals, you know, and a large part of our lives kind of involves creating and building relationships with ourselves and with other people. Um, And I guess since it's such a big topic, let's start with what happens when things go wrong? What are the main issues with relationships? What do you think about it? I know that's a big question. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny because we talk about these things all the time inside of Thrive when we meet with the women all the time. A lot of times women come and they say like, you know, my marriage is like this. So I'm going to speak from not just my perspective here at this moment, from all the women. So I want you to imagine if you can give the voice of the women around the world, the Muslim women talking about what that sounds like or means like to them. Um, It's a lot of distance in marriage, like marriages started off maybe having some issues or some rockiness, but now it's getting to the point where one person is going to one side of the, the, the house or the room and the other. I have a lot of women call me and tell me that my husband doesn't even, we don't even sleep in the same bed anymore. And it's not that there's a judgment on that, how, how people sleep at night, but it's not because of like a healthy situation. It's because we've come to terms like we don't even find need for that because we just have better comfort in our own selves. So everyone's kind of living in silos in the homes or there's separation between yourself and your teenagers. And, you know, you guys are constantly, there's a lot of there's a lot of resentment. There's a lot of accusations. There's a lot of like, you don't give me or, you know, I'm getting the short end of the stick. We feel like our rights aren't being, you know, from the children to the adults in between the adults. There is so much kind of bitterness and resentment. And then everybody feels a bit slighted. So there's this constant feeling of uneasiness. And so what I'm getting a lot of from women around the world is I'm in this situation and I feel like no matter what I do, they're not listening to me. They don't understand my side. I don't feel seen. I don't feel heard. I feel like my opinion doesn't matter. My emotions doesn't matter. So it keeps becoming, it becomes incredibly personal. Like everything that's happening, it's happening at me, you know, not for me. It's not qadr. It's not a test. We don't see it as these, these experiences that could be helping us. We see everything as just like everything is crumbling down on me and relations feel like they're unraveling um, and and like people can't get through to other people. That's what I, I'm hearing a lot of kind of across the globe. Do you think it's kind of an element of catastrophizing? Because I know you mentioned this a little bit before, um, very interestingly, is that when something doesn't fit in perfectly or doesn't fit in a certain way, we start to feel like, as you said, it's unraveling. It's not fitting into the picture. It's not something I envisioned for myself. It's not an ideal, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, so do, do you come across that is that we have this idea of relationships that's supposed to fit into kind of a particular box. Sorry, I'm just putting my charger away. Um, that's supposed to fit into a particular box. And when it doesn't fit into that box, we have a problem. You know, and, and I'm not just saying this from a women's perspective. I think it's yeah. generally across the board, even from a men's perspective. If if things have not, you know, gone a certain way, it could be anything. It could be something like um, you have to get married at this age and, you're, you know, your partner has to fulfill this X, Y, Z criteria. And then you have to have a child by this age. And, mm-hmm. and there's so much of that. You know, this is the ideal picture you set for yourself. The wife has to do X, Y, Z in the marriage and the husband has to do X, Y, Z. And it's so rigid you know what i mean yeah yeah have have, what do you think about it what do you think about this rigid idea yeah i think what we're creeping into is the concept of expectation right we have this expectation as a woman i expect my husband should love me like this he should talk to me like this he should do this for me financially and the husband is coming to the woman or or even if it's not marriage but relationships in general like they should they could they would you know like all those modals and we're coming into this space where when our expectations don't get met that pretty picture that we think should be it should be the way it is or the way it should be done then all of a sudden we have this incredible amount of dis- dissent and unhappiness. And, and what happens is it's not that it's not okay to have expectations of other people. It's that what I notice too in a lot of women, when they're choosing, the, it's a couple of different things. It's not like so black and white. It's a couple of different things. I'll, I'll, I'll share some of my insight of kind of what I've gathered across of what's been going on. Well, first of all, there's these cultural expectations, right? Within your own culture, there's these expectations of the way things should go. Now, we could go all day about culture versus Islam. What Islam says you have to do as a woman or a man. And then there's our culture 
And a lot of times there's these like superimposed expectations that are not even like, even a law doesn't need you to do that. But like your mother-in-law thinks that you should, right? Or your father-in-law or your husband because his mother said, you know, like, and so there's all this extra pressure that Islam didn't even put on the women or on the men to be to be fair. And so subhanAllah, that's one aspect is the cultural influence of what, what things should be like, right? But then there's also like this lack of clarity I've noticed. So I have women who call me up and they have marital problems and they say, um, well, you know, he should be doing this and this and this and this. And I'm like, wow, that sounds like something that really should have been discussed before marriage. You know, how many kids you're going to have, if you're going to work or not, if you like just some really like strong, basic things. Like, how did that discussion go before you got married when you guys were like entertaining, like courting? Oh, we didn't really talk about that. So that's really, I get a lot of those. Oh, we didn't, you know, we figured we'd figure that out later. And I get a lot of that. And I'm like, ooh. This could have been like so prevented, <laughs> like if you guys would have just like shared your expectations or desires before, now you're all hashing it out on the go. And that could get really sticky, especially when like you're not on the same mm -hmm. page about major life issues that involve both of you. So I would say like so much, sometimes it can be prevented by one, better communication, obviously, prior to relationships beginning or if they are already going on, like with parents and stuff, just like really politely and um, with respect, sharing your, your desires and wishes on your standards. And there's a huge difference between, I just want to throw it out there, between expectations and standards. And the second piece of what, what they could do is they could really just have more realistic expectations. I feel like the, the, the lot of us, like men are like, oh, she should, she's working, but she should be cooking and she should be taking care of the kids and the nappies. And like, they want us to do so much. And we turn to them and we're like, well, what are you doing? And then the expectations are unrealistic. Some of the men, they weren't taught how to talk to us the way we've seen in the movies. And so we have this expectation that they should love us by bringing us roses, by doing this, by doing that. So I think part of it is having clear communication that is not necessarily happening and that we weren't taught how to have. And the second one is really just having more realistic expectations of one another. Um, and that connects lastly to that element of rahma. You know, uh, Rasulullah he said to have 70 excuses, right? for the other person. We often don't even give one or two um, because of the coulds and shoulds and whats. So there's a lack of mercy in our relationships and seeing it from the other person's perspective and just that genuine love and mercy. So I think that could also go a long way. That's very profound. Um, and you know that the bit that really stuck out to me, there were a couple of things, but the first one that stuck out to me was people don't have these conversations before marriage. If you're not having this important conversation before marriage, how do you know who you're getting married to? You know, you're spending the rest of your life, you're trying to invest in something when you have, you know, less than 5% of information of what exactly you're investing in. You would never do that in the real world. You would never invest in a company or in, in anything, you know, in, in a kettle, in a cooker, in, um, you know, a whatever it could be, a book. You wouldn't invest in it if you didn't know what you were getting for your money. You know, so why would you invest your time and your effort and your love in a relationship when you don't know what you're going to be getting? You know, that's um, like Amazon. How how do we pine over the reviews before we buy the cooker? We pine <laughs> over the reviews, but we don't we don't do that with him. Like, like oh, we'll figure it out. We're not going to figure it out with the cooker, but with the entire man that will be the husband and and the father of our children, it's kind of we we wing it. It's it's interesting. It's very interesting. And some people tell me, yeah, but you can't compare buying something to an experience. But then I tell them, okay, what about if you're going on a vacation? You're definitely going to read up everything about that destination before you go have the experience, right? So it's the same thing. Um, you need to know, you need to have that open communication. You need to know what your future is going to look like before making such a big decision. Um, the other thing that stuck out to me is Rahma. So beautiful, so beautiful. Um, thank you for sharing that, for reminding us about Rahma. We need to have Rahma not just in our relations, but I think it starts from having mercy towards yourself. You know, because even even Allah says that He leaves ninety nine, you know, parts of His mercy for us. So how, how can we, you know? stop ourselves from receiving that mercy and i think when 
when you're merciful to yourself, automatically that will trickle into the way you think and the way um, the way you live mindfully and your intentions when it comes to relationships, um, because you will transfer that mercy to, to everyone else. So that's that's really beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I think we can move a bit to um, these are the issues in relationships. And a lot of the times when these expectations are not met, when these things, you know, kind of go wrong or do not fit the ideal, then we have a lot of people talking about abuse and toxic relationships, you know, and mm. that's, I think that's kind of the buzzword of this entire decade is toxicity. Um, what do you think about toxic relationships? I think it's so hard because that word is thrown out so much. You have to make sure you're like defining it right before you talk about it. So I would think like anything to me, and this is my personal um, feeling after dealing with it. So it's not like, don't quote me on anything else. Um, it's it's really just so much of what ha- what is what is almost like um, really something that doesn't sit well with you and it makes you constantly question yourself or question your relationship or question God. Like there's certain things that are happening in our relationships that we don't realize how much they are to the core hurting us. Like a lot of women will tell me when they're having a bad marriage, it makes them start to give up on God, give up on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I'm like, where are you making that connection? Well, he wouldn't you know, allow me to experience this. This is horrible. And the other thing is, unfortunately, and I I, I don't want to say this too much, but like a lot of our families, there's a lot of like, remember I, I referenced it before, there's a lot of like these crazy expectations. Um, there was a, a family in particular I was dealing with in, of, a, of a toxic situation where I thought it could be resolved. But the truth is the attitudes of the family members in terms of how much they would follow the Quran and Sunnah in a dispute, it was just so far. And so I think for me, toxicity is also that, like how close are you to following your own nafs and your own opinions and your own desires versus what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said. Once you start to pull into the, the, the dunya and the nafs, that's when you're getting into toxicity because this is out of the natural fitrah of the human being and the way they should behave. This becomes self-serving and toxic. So in this particular family, um, the, 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 this husband, I guess she didn't know because she didn't ask, ask, um, he had anger issues. They didn't do enough digging around. They didn't do enough engaging before marriage. And he had very bad anger issues where twice he actually choked her. And once of them, he choked her when she was married, like, excuse me, pregnant. So that was very scary. You know, pregnant, you're very, you're very, um, I don't know how to say this, but much more emotional and protective of the baby. And so this was very jarring. And the that wasn't the worst part. Um, the worst part was after that, he told her it was her fault. And then when her, her the, the two parents came together and was like, hey, what's happening? One parent, the parent of, of the, the man, she said, well, you know, in Islam, you're, she's supposed to be expected whatever he does. She forgives him and goes home. So just tell your daughter to go home. Tell her to go home. So the the toxicity is not just even within the, the immediate relationship. Sometimes in the we extend into the family and we see what are their expectations and their rules. None of this is in Islam. This is not. And, and unfortunately, I'm describing Muslims at the moment. But this is these are Muslims who have left the fold of the way Islam manages marriages. And so um, the toxicity here to me is to your core, you can feel something's wrong. And oftentimes it is far removed from the way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did. So my first advice to women is usually to understand the way the marriage should be. What are your rights? What are his rights? What does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala expect of you? How should you handle disagreements? How should you, if you stay by this rule book, the toxicity doesn't creep in because as soon as it creeps in, you can identify, you could say, hey, that is not actually how we should behave. Let's investigate. I don't say, oh, you know, I should do this because all these alternate um, expectations and rules that don't even exist. So for me and my experience, that's what I have seen toxicity happen the most, where we stray away from the way the Quran and Sunnah suggest for us to behave together. And we turn into things of our nafs and our hawa, you know. That's very interesting. Um, and thank you for sharing that case study. You know, I, I agree. I do think that you will always know. 
our nafs, Allah has given us these nafs so that we can know. It's kind of like a nagging feeling you get at the back of your head. Something's wrong here. You know, I, I need to investigate it. Um, you can call it survival instinct, but we're Muslims. We know it's our nafs. It's, they're kicking in and they're trying to, you know, guide us and tell us you need to do something about this. Um, yeah. And Islam does guide us on how to get out of these, you know, particular situations. Um, mm -hmm. And I think something... Um, I, something I mentioned before, which is toxic patience. We need to we need to differentiate between the two. Patience is important. Sabr is very important. But when you are being harmed, when you're in a situation where your rights are being taken away, and that nagging feeling that nafs comes up and says, "Well, is this really Islamic? Am I really in the fold of Islam right now? If I'm not, then there is no such thing as patience." Right. You do have to act no matter how mercifully, how justly, how politely, but you do have to act to protect yourself and and the people around you. So I feel like um, a lot of the times when you're in a difficult, especially a toxic um, situation or an abusive situation, you just start thinking about yourself. And I've noticed that as well as that you, you, you tend the first instinct is to be selfish. They're like, mm -hmm. I'm the one who's you know, going through this, so I just need to think about myself. Mm -hmm. But that's also not Islamic. I understand that you have no. the first responsibility to yourself, but you also have a responsibility to the people around you to an extent. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you have children, right? A lot of women, they say to me, and, and I don't, I, I by no means suggest whether women should stay married or divorced. That's not at all. I don't give any types of advice like that. But they come to me usually just, they want to know if they're crazy. <laughs> That's what they tell me. I just want to know if I'm crazy for this thought I'm having or this feeling. or Because my, my, my spouse or my in-laws or my mom told me that I have a problem. Something's wrong with me. But I don't feel this is really good for me or fair. And I want to understand from just someone else's perspective that I quote unquote respect, like, what do you think? when you hear this, can I tell you this scenario? And they tell me, and it's it's so true what you're saying. And, but, but here's the thing, it's like, when you make these big life decisions, they don't just affect you, right? They affect the entire family. And as we're reaching exactly. levels where Muslim marriages are almost getting like closing, like rising up to 50%, we're almost like right behind the non-Muslims. Um, it's a scary thing because we're talking about children without whole families all over the world. And so that's really hard too, making those decisions about your children. And so um, these these are never easy things for sure. Definitely, definitely they're not easy things. Um, you're reminding me of a case that I once worked on. Um, this lady kind of came to me, she was referred to me um, under the guise of being psychotic, right? So they said, no, she's acting really psychotic. There's something wrong, please you know, help her because I, I work as a as a therapist as well. Um, and after I did the evaluation and, you know, really took the thorough history, I realized that she was not psychotic at all. She was being overprotective of her newborn baby who was trying to, um, was kind of like being taken away from her by her husband and his family. And I realized through that, through that overprotectiveness, she kind of, you know, kind of unburdened herself on me and told me her entire story. She used to get locked up in her house. She wasn't allowed a phone. She wasn't allowed friends. She was barely allowed to go to the mosque and only if, you know, her mother-in-law accompanied her. And she was, she was abused a lot physically, emotionally. She was very abused. And it just made, made me realize that she was so easily labeled as being, you know, psychotic or crazy, you know, just when you said that, that the first thing they ask is, am I crazy? And that's the same thing she asked me, am I crazy for responding like this when I'm trying to protect my newly born baby? Yeah. And the, the, the short answer is no, you're not crazy, right? How can you be crazy when you've gone through all of that? Um, so I think, yes, abusive relationships are a big problem but the solutions are much simpler than we can realize. Yeah. It's it it doesn't have to be such a big it doesn't have to get to that stage where it's such a big deal where you know there's there's horrible things happening. Um what about the guilting? I I find the women are guilted to stay or guilted. I'm not just talking oh, about yeah. physical abuse by the way. Um cuz there's many other things we could 
talk about. A lot of times there's a lot of verbal um, abuse or putting down in general. And, and you wouldn't say that's like a lot of people, they don't categorize it necessarily as abuse because, oh, he's not hitting me. He's not, he's just telling me I'm not good all the time, or he's just, you know, cursing at me or saying that whatever it is. And even whether you're in the house with the parents or the in-laws or the husband, I'm not just talking about, you know, one particular scenario, but yeah, I, I hear that a lot. Like, and then it's like, well, I can't go at, like, we, you know, it's funny. I was talking to a therapist on TikTok. We did some live together. And I said to her, what do you suggest to women that are going through these things? They're told by their family, they cannot go get help. You're going to shame the family. You're going to expose our family problems to the world. And so they're told all these things. And she's like, oh, and she was suggesting they could go to a local church. They could go to this. I said, we don't want to, I don't know if we want to send them to the church right now because it's going to be a little complicated. Make that. But it's funny because in the West, in the Western world here, they said, go, let's send her to the homeless shelter, send her to the church. They were sending her into all these very wow. complicated, complex situations that I was like, I don't know that that's going to bring a layer of ease right now. But like this, there is a stigma as well for women who they do want to talk to somebody. That's why I'm the first point of contact for so many women. And then we will often put them towards imams or therapists after. So what happens is they come to me because like, I've heard your podcast. I feel like I can trust you. You talk in my ear every week and I've never told anyone this. And I want to tell you this thing that's happening to me. So I get a lot of really jarring calls that I have to really prepare my, myself for. Sometimes I, I won't mention all the, 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 you know, things that I hear, hear, here, but I say, gosh, you know, I'm sorry, that's happening to you. And we talk about it. And then we talk about how they're feeling. We talk about the best, maybe next step for them. Maybe they need to go and talk to a therapist or talk to the police or talk to the imam. And so I'm just kind of that voice of reason, that good friend that kind of says, you know, you know, your, your feelings are valid and let's talk about how we could get you some help with those feelings. And so that's why, you know, we love that we work with you and, and we're, 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 we're collaborating at some level to talk about these things with you because there's just, there's just so much to be said, but I'm I'm really, really hopeful. As, 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 as much as we've talked about a lot of heavy things, I'm really helpful because, hopeful because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he will never leave us if we're trying to do it for the right reasons and in the right way. Like I cannot experience as much as there is just so much, um, just how much I feel so much hope and love about the situation. Because as I do this work, I find other groups like you are, um, you know, just doing this because we really earnestly love our people and we want to see better. And I come across so many women that come and they volunteer with us and their time. And it's just, it just opens my heart of just like the, the amount of good that is out there. If we only tap into it together. So I would say as much as there is all of that, there's there's equally a lot of good if we all just join together, you know. Definitely. There definitely is. Um, you know, and, and I'm very thankful, you know, that we we got in touch and we're trying to do this and um inshallah, inshallah more to come. Um there is always hope and it it just um you've actually just reminded me because I have it here every time I'm working I keep I keep this print right next to me because it's easy to lose hope it's easy to lose hope this is a collaboration we did with one of our artists and um it reminds me not to lose it not to lose that hope because if you have hope Allah says you have everything yeah thinking well of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala thinking well of Allah and knowing that he will he will help us if we are doing our part in the right way alhamdulillah Alhamdulillah, definitely. Um, yes, I know we've spoken about a lot of heavy things, but let's talk a little bit about hopeful things um, before we end. So we've talked about toxic relationships and what are the issues with relationships, but what do you think are the ingredients for healthy relationships? I know you mentioned a bit about communication, but are there other key ingredients that we need? Yeah, you know what I find when I come across a lot of women, and I found this in myself too, um, we don't do a lot of self-exploration, right? So before we even get to the relationship with the other person, we oftentimes, whether we realize it or not, we don't really know ourselves. Oh, I know myself. I know what I like to eat. I know what shows I like. I know what type of friends I want to have. That's not really what I mean. There's like, a, we don't sit with ourselves alone. You know, it's funny because we we recently got inspired because we tell women, you know, and that's the other thing. Remember I told you about like, um, we, we give them ideas to the women. I've heard this for years, but we don't give them practical tools and ways. So what we try to do is be extremely step-by-step. -step. Like, oh, you want to do this? Here's how you do it. Step one, two, three. We try to be really, really practical. A lot of women want a lot more hand-holding than you would imagine. And so recently we, we had to get inspired and we actually just released least this one and many other ones. 
like we tell women connect with Allah. And then they're like, okay, I want to read the Quran. Okay, good, read the Quran. And they're like, they, they sat, tell me, I open the book, I stare at it. I'm like, I don't know how to approach this. Then I close it and then I scroll on my phone and I go right back to something else. Or I tell them, you know, sit alone with this piece of paper and a pen and journal and write to yourself. And they're like, okay. And like, this is awkward and I don't even know where to start. And then they start with the phone. So I, I a lot of them tell me these things. I feel so guilty. You say it on the podcast, you mention it in the classes, but I, I get there and it's awkward and it's weird. And they like, and they, I realize that they don't often talk to themselves. As a child, that's one thing I often did. That's the one thing I think that kept me close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. All I did, and and I guess no one taught me at the time, it was in the deep night, but I would I would wake up and I don't know why, about two, three in the morning, I would be talking to Allah and making dua to Allah. I'm talking like 10, nine, I'm not talking like older. And I just continuously did this. And I realized that because I had that constant dialogue with myself, myself and Allah, it got me through so much. So we were recently inspired to make like, mindfulness journals with like 365 days of what you could say every day between yourself and Allah. So we did that. We made a Quran journal that literally was like, wow. here's the thing, fill it in. Like, yeah, we just released these maybe in the past couple months because women kept saying, that's great, but I don't know how. And I can't hold all their hands everywhere all the time. And I'm trying to create some, some independence and some, you know, so we made these and they were just like, this is what I needed. I needed to know what to do, what to say. And I had to make them in like, you could do them in five minutes because the women are like, I'm too busy. My life is too full. And so yeah. the big concept that I share with women with relationships, going back to your original question is this, and that's why I brought this up. Um, and it's a concept, I don't, I didn't get it from anywhere. I guess I formed it after um, reading the book, you know, The Ideal Muslima, if you've ever read that book. If you ever read that book, it's a very famous book and it talks about the chapters of how to be an ideal Muslima. And it's not that it came up with this. It's just like I realized I had a revelation, let's say, to myself in terms of it. And then there's so much Quran that I realized afterwards that backed all this up and Hadith and I just didn't um, realize it at the time. So I want you to imagine, I think I might have said this before, like you take a rock and you throw it in the water and you have that ripple right? That ripple. So I want you to imagine like an inner circle and then another one, another one, another one. Well, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? He talks about when you rectify your relationship with you and I, I will rectify the relationship between you and all creation. And that's what I mean. So if I take that inner circle and before I, I talk about healthy relationships, I have a healthy relationship between myself and myself and myself and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's going to allow me to have a healthy marriage, which will allow me to have a healthy children, which will allow me to have a healthy extended family relationships and a healthy place in the community. So a lot of people, when they want to address their relationships and if they're toxic or healthy, they go straight at the relationship. And what I often do is I kind of pivot them and say, before we go there, before we talk about everything he should be doing and you should be doing, how are you doing? How's your self-esteem? How's your self-worth? How how close are you to yourself, to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? How's your salah? How's everything going? When I do that, almost every time, women are like, oh, well, I don't really like myself and I don't really pray as much as I used to. And actually, they instantly, and I say, subhanAllah. So if we follow the recipe Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us, that if you rectify with you and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and this is really what I've seen across the board for myself. If I'm struggling in any relationship and I feel it's unhealthy, the first thing I do is I go back to myself. I go back to Allah. I fix that relationship. I make it strong. I'm not talking like long amounts of time. It doesn't take long if you do it with sincerity and, you know, ikhlas. I'm doing that. And now I have a better sight, right? I'm not in a, in a shaky state anymore. Now I look back at that relationship and I could look at it with more patience, more mercy. And I could start to say, okay, then I can approach that person in a better state because oftentimes, you know, the way we're talking to someone says a lot about the state of our heart, right? Because Rasulullah he said, your, your tongue and your heart are directly connected, right? That's why we speak so poorly when we're in a bad state of Iman and difficulty and, and we speak better, right? Dhikr and beautiful words. So I have to clean myself, like clean my mouth, my ears, my eyes. I make my state healthier so I can approach that person. If that person is still, you know, challenging, then I have to revisit like, well, what's actually going on with this relationship? Where are the rights? You know, what's the rights of that person? Am I giving them to be fair? So I try to fix the rights I'm giving that person. Notice how much of my focus for that relationship so far is right here. It's not mm. even there yet. And so I think when you start to do that work, your entire perspective of that relationship tends to change. And for myself, it has, and for many women that we work with. And so for me, I'm kind of in a roundabout way of answering your question. Like, um, 
a healthy relationship just really starts with the healthy people themselves. And even if nobody taught you this stuff, that's like why we share it today. A lot of us weren't taught that in the mosque. A lot of us weren't taught that in our homes. We haven't seen even healthy relationships. A lot of women are like, I don't even know what a good marriage looks like. My mom and my dad, they scream at each other. They run into separate rooms. And every day, everybody just doesn't want to like, you know, make eye contact and bother. So we haven't even seen good relationships. So how can we have healthy ones? Well, we're not broken. Each time we're born, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, has, we have a new experience and a new opportunity. But Allah just wants us to take some action. And that's really what we're helping women do. And I'm sure what you're helping women do is get back to like the best version of themselves so they can approach everything in a healthy way. And so many of the women, I think they do struggle with self-esteem because of the, the issues in our families. And they haven't been taught about the beautiful opportunities that they have to do in the work in the community and their family. And, and they're not as hopeful. So we try to reinstill that with them so that when you do that, you will see the ripple of healthy relationships after that, if that kind of makes sense. That's so, so beautifully put. Um, that's exactly the heart of what we do at IM, you know, and uh, that's another reason why I'm glad we're doing this collaboration. Um, you're right. If you, if you can't fix what's inside here, then there's, well, it, I'm not going to say it's pointless, but there's, there's little point in doing everything else. You know, and I find so many people, both in my work um, with IM and outside of it, so many people, so many women who come and tell me they've given 100% to other people and zero to themselves. Mm -hmm. And I ask them, was it worth it? Was it worth giving all of that? Do you feel good that you've done that? Yeah. And 95% of them say, no, not really. No. It's just something I had to do, mm. you know. So, so when it comes to that, and then you think about things like khushu and ikhlas, and well, how is that going to come in when, when you haven't done it for yourself? You haven't helped other people for yourself. Mm -hmm. You haven't, you know, given because you want to give because that is your niyyat. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a very subtle thing. Like I said, a very small, simple thing, mm -hmm. but it's so important. Um, and I love how, how you've, you know, displayed it so, so picturesquely, like this, this ripple, um, beautiful, beautiful, subhanAllah. Um, so we do have to make sure that we're nurturing ourselves and, and other people. Um, just quickly, the, the other thing that you said that really stuck out to me is that we, because it was a model for us, we wanted to be like kind of, you know, step one, step two, step three. This is how you do it very robotically, like you said, um, which is, is, is difficult to do, especially when you're starting because you don't know where to start. But I, I based on my own experience, I do want to say that sometimes it'll come naturally and it wouldn't be the same for everyone. Um, like, for example, when I was starting to, to kind of just, you know, build or come out of that idea where everything is for everyone else and not for me, I would just literally spend, like you said, five minutes. I spend five minutes a day on the musallah just talking, just telling Allah this happened today and then this and then this and I felt this about this and, well, maybe this, maybe I did something wrong, you know, and when I did this and just sharing very honestly, like as if you're speaking to like your best friend or, you know, your, your, your biggest confidant and it, just that alone made such a big difference to the point where I can't not do it anymore now, <laughs> you know? So, so it's like, it's like building those habits and trial and error. I think that's another thing that's, I, I don't know if you've come across it, but I always tell my clients, try it. If it doesn't work, you don't have to continue. You can try something else, you know, but if it does work, yeah. you've built, you've cultivated a new habit that you can take with you forever. Yeah, I think every everything everybody has what works for them. Like when people watch morning routines on YouTube, like say for example, like oh, I'm gonna do her <laughs> yeah. routine. I'm like you don't have her life. <laughs> like you don't have her Definitely. kids, her husband. You don't know what's going on behind the scenes. So what I tell women instead is like get inspired by those routines, but don't 
do them that exact way or feel that that is what good looks like and I should be doing that or anything like that. I said, like, for example, like you just said, um, let's pretend crying into the musalla is the best way for me to connect with Allah. Let's say another person, it's 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 reading Quran and feeling my heart feel full. Another person, it's reciting Quran five, ten minutes a day. Another person, it's, it's writing letters to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala how much I, I love him in the struggle I'm having today. Allahu alam, once you start, like you said, just try, you will find. So for me, that's exactly what I did, right? I, I kept until I know what's good for me. And so I tell women is like most of us, we just want it to be so perfect or we just think it should be great the first time. First of all, you have to have a little bit more patience with yourself. You have to like yeah. even sometimes when I tell women to journal, I'm like, listen, journal five minutes a day in the morning. You're going to like a morning priming. I tell them you're going to learn so much about yourself. And I have specific things. I have like this, whatever, free PDF. And they're like, yeah, I did it for two days. And then I gave up. I said, look, look, do it for seven days, just one week. Can you commit to your own self for one week? And then I promise you, I want you to go back. I want you to look at your entries. You're going to learn a lot in the patterns of your speaking to yourself about yourself, you're going to go, gosh, you know, when I was going through some tough times and I, I, it's funny for the women who do it, they say, gosh, it works when I sit consistently, like you said, for five minutes or with myself. And some of them were like, you know what, when I'm in a bad time, I go back to my journal or my place where I, you know, have it recorded. And they said, I looked at what did I, because like, well, women will say that to me too, you know, I'm, I'm struggling. And I said, well, you journal, you know, what about the times it was good? Can you tell me what you journaled in those times? They say, oh, those were the times when I was like, oh, I'm reading the most Quran ever. I'm uh, talking to Allah the most ever. I said, look, you just found your own remedy for your own self. When you were doing well, you did one, two, three. When you were doing poorly, oh, that's when I left this. I left this. I stopped doing this. I said, so go back to your own, like, you know, a dialogue with yourself and, and, and answer your own question. And so the women who do kind of keep track, that's that muraqaba, right? That's that mindfulness. I'm keeping track of the good and the bad and how I got to the good and the bad so that when I go to a bad time, I can go back to my own remedy in my own self that I've discovered that I'm not even keeping track of, you know? So like that is, that is really it. It's little things like you just said that are so, so profoundly um, powerful to do. Definitely. Definitely. Um, subhanAllah. Um, I was just thinking about, you know, all these little solutions that, that we can, we can find for ourselves and, you know, maintain inshallah. And, um that's more on a personal level but when we're trying to support other people because your right community is so important how can we do that is is there advice you have for other people when you know when you see someone going through a hard time or you see someone who's who's reached that stage where they've you know kind of undermined all the red flags and now now they're in a position where they really need help how is the best way that you um think we can support each other yeah, that's a really good question. I was thinking about this for myself, actually, because I was trying to think of when I was in a really difficult time, like what really helped me and what did I need to hear from people? And then I think about, yeah, what we share with women all the time. Um, the biggest thing women always tell us is like they really just don't feel like their pain is being acknowledged or seen or heard. And so the first thing we try to do, and I think we, you would, you would know this as well, is just, we try to empathize. We try to, to, to like say, you know, I, I'm sorry this happened to you and I see what's going through. And I try to listen more than I talk um, because a lot of times they just want to open up and they want to share. So once they've shared, you know, we just try to let them know that we're a safe space. So it's like acknowledging their pain, letting them know that this is a safe space that you can come to and talk to you. None of this will be shared with anybody else. And so creating that first, I think is really always important with us. We actually, we actually did trainings upon trainings with our teams to make sure they did that. And then, you know, when you have those moments, we were checking with the women after we had like a mentorship program that we do for free inside of the membership. And it's like a coaching thing. And afterwards we were like, okay guys, we were telling the team like our goal was to be safe, to make sure they felt safe. And Allahu Alam, I'm not even joking, like 90% of the people were like, this is so safe. I felt so safe. I was like, oh, see when we consciously made it an effort, people were like, I could just open up. So I think what they, a lot of women don't feel safe because we're going on social media. And we're saying something and everyone like attacks you on social media, right? That's not safe. I'm going in my home and I'm feeling like nobody um, hears me and they tell me my idea is crazy or stupid or whatever. So then I don't feel safe. So I just keep to myself now. 
So I think the first thing is that empathy and safety because our women do feel like they don't have that in this day and time. And the, the next thing is like, really what we try to do is partner them up with somebody else. And that's really hard traditionally, like especially for reverts, right? They come into the Dean, we wanna help them. Our women wanna come back on the Dean, even they're born Muslim. We don't have places to pair them. That's why I literally had to come up with Thrive Muslima because no matter how many times I tried to fix it in like another way, it came back to, I need support. I need a place where I can talk to and feel like people will hear me all the time. And I couldn't do that. So what I would say is if you're aware of people in your life that need help, knowing that you can direct them to any particular place, because at the end of the day, a lot of women tell me, I just get like flicked off by someone else, you know, like, hey, I would love to help you, but I don't have time right now. And then I get dismissed and I get dismissed. So making sure that person doesn't feel dismissed or alone. And if you can't take that burden on yourself, which a lot of people can't, you know, it's leaning on organizations that actually could help because the women they do need, because if they don't get that support, maybe they'll get it from a less than good source later on as they feel like they haven't been dealt with properly or acknowledged. So that's why we were kind of had to put all those pieces into place, but it's really beautiful to watch the women together. And I would say, um, you know, um, just reminding them, lastly, reminding them of all the good. At that time when you're in a dark place, you often feel like there's no hope. Allah doesn't love you. The friends that helped me back in the day, they always were sending me beautiful Quranic reminders, hadith, keeping that positivity in those reminders. Like even if that's all you can do as a friend or a family member, um, it can go a long way. You'd be surprised. Alhamdulillah. SubhanAllah. Thank you so much for those very, very important pieces of advice. Um, agreed. I, I do think that there's 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 a lot we can do for other people. Um, but most of the time, it's the small things. It's the simple things, like just listening. You know, I often say that if, if you find yourself in a situation where someone's venting to you or someone's telling you what they're going through and you're not listening, either you're talking more or your mind is somewhere else, then maybe you need to vent as well. Maybe it's because there's something there that you need to, you know, offload or you're struggling um but if you're able to listen empathetically and compassionately and there's someone who is able to listen to you then you've already found that support you know that's kind of like the first step it's the easiest thing to find um if you're looking for it subhanallah so well definitely it's it's easier it's easy to do simple to do we just have to do it mindfully and intentionally um I guess then just kind of to round up, sorry, to round up, is there any um, advice that you would like to give to, you know, our listeners, people who are going through a tough time, especially in their relationships? Um, and additionally, could you tell us how we can access the Mindful Muslima um, Global Sisterhood? Sure, sure. Um, the thing that I was thinking about this, because we have a free book club, actually, um, that's going on right now, we were just talking about this, we were talking about difficulty and struggle and how we approach it. And it's just remembering that every single event or issue in your life has an absolutely divine purpose. We oftentimes are so focused too close. And if we zoom out, we can see that that one event is carrying you to some beautiful way that is going to actually be better for you. And what we did, and I'll give you an example of how you can do this if you're like, I, I would love to look at it in a better way, but I can't, I mean, is this. We had women talk in the, um, the book club that we were doing about, I asked them this actionable thing. I talked to you about the hand-holding. This was one of them. I said, okay, you can't think of your bad scenario any other positive way. Let's try it out. Let's look at something previous, like how the Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did in Surah Al-Duha with the Prophet, peace be upon him. He said, weren't you an orphan? And I took care of you, weren't this? So he took this horrible thing being an orphan. And he said, but didn't this good come out of it, right? So we looked at a horrible time. He said, what was the most horrible time? And then I use myself as an example because I often have to model for them. I said, and I want you to pick the best times 
in that horrible time. The best parts about that horrible time. And that sounds so strange, but hear me out. I said, okay, my divorce. For me, my first divorce, I actually asked for divorce. I wanted the divorce. I didn't feel, I did all the stuff. Like I said, I, I got inside myself and I realized and I looked at my relationship again. And I was like, this just isn't good for me. And then I figured it all out. And I'm not a huge advocate of what to do one way or the other, but for myself, that was my story. And so what happened was I looked at that and I said, gosh, I could really say I'm broken. I'm a divorcee. That was horrible. I'm now happily married, alhamdulillah. But I could do that and I could victimize myself and I could use it as a really heavy piece of my life. But instead, I'm going to think of the best parts. Okay, the first one was, alhamdulillah, actually, I learned the most about Islam and the Quran during that time. Because as I was searching for answers, I actually was like eating up a lot of books. And so alhamdulillah, that was actually the most beautiful growth Islamically, deen-wise, for myself, even though it was so hard. Number two, um, actually, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent me so many good, supportive friends in that time. The circle I have today, like, you know, X amount of years later, over a decade, is actually those friends that Allah sent me. So he sent me a lot of aid. I was surrounded by support. And the third one was, I think I learned my internal voice and strength. I was such, such a people pleaser, such a pushover at that time. And I learned how to speak up for my feelings and my rights. And today... I literally do that and I help other women to do that. So it's been a perpetual gift, not just for myself, but for anyone I touch. So Alhamdulillah, I could say that that event that could be so horrible was actually so beautiful and amazing. And I now see the bigger picture of how that's helped me have healthy friendships and better understanding of Islam and being able to help other women. So I now see that immense purpose in that event. I don't know if that helps, but that's what I did. So if, if you want to try those out for yourself as a listener right now, you want to say this really hard time I'm going through, what are the best things about it though? And if you can't see it all now, that's okay. But maybe you just will a little later on if you keep looking back. And if you want to even practice with a previous really difficult situation, I think maybe you want to start there. It's profound. When you put the dots together, you're like, Ya Allah, you have a beautiful plan. And everything you've done for me was always for me, not against me. It was always in my favor if I only opened my eyes to look. And so I would say definitely doing an exercise like that or perceiving things the way Allah suggested to, to the Prophet, peace be upon him, and looking back for the good um, has really, really been helpful for me. And I hope it's helpful for other women. Wow. Just, you know, as... As you were saying that, I was trying to apply that as well, um, and I I think it's I think it's quite hopeful to know that even though you're going through difficult times through no fault of your own or anyone else's, and even um, but before I get to that, I think a lot of people do naturally want to find someone to blame. And if they can't find anyone to blame for like the, the hard things that they're going through, mm -hmm. then it's easy to kind of say, Ya Allah, why are you doing this to me? Yeah. You know, you, you're the one that I choose to blame. Um, mm -hmm. but, but actually, when you're going through that difficult time, for whatever reason, and without casting blame, you will see a lot of growth in that. I've personally seen this through my own experiences. I'm sure you have as well. I, I think everyone who's gone through a difficult time can reflect back on that and say, if I didn't go through this, I wouldn't have achieved something beautiful. I wouldn't have learned something new. I wouldn't have found someone new. You know, any small thing, it could be the smallest of things. It could be a big thing, something that you have achieved because of it. But going through that process is always hard. And I guess th that's what we call growing pains. You know, when you have to grow, when you have to change, when you have to go through some kind of transformation, it's not going to be painless. No, it's always uncomfortable, but it's in that discomfort. Yeah, no, in that discomfort is where we grow. When we're having none of that, that's where we kind of stay stagnant. And most of us, we want better change. And my my advice with that pain of that of that growth is this. Would you rather have pain for being stagnant and staying, not knowing if it's ever going to change? Or would you rather have pain 
in the growth process of things getting better by you doing things that might be a little bit out of risk or out of the norm for you, but at least you know it's on the way up and it's going to be better. But either way, you're going to have pain, but wouldn't you want a positive pain that is leading to something better? So I encourage women with that. Like this is this is going to be like going to the gym, right? We're lifting the weights, but I know things are going to get better as opposed to like sitting on the couch with the chips and things are going to grow other ways. So alhamdulillah, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it easy for all of our women, you know, just takes a bit of effort. Oh, I didn't answer your second one. You asked me how to... Um, to access the sisterhood. Um, it is Yes, Thrive yes, Muslim. please tell our viewers. Yeah, it's called Thrive Muslima. And what happens is it's an entire, um, it's an entire sisterhood of international women. And what happens is um, we partnered up with uh, a company that allowed us to put it on an app. So if you go to the Apple store, you'll find it there. But it's not just like an app, there's real people. There's like live events where face-to-face, -face, kind of like how I'm in camera now. And um, even sometimes we'll do live meetups in person when the opportunity arises. But we do live classes all the time. And um, there's tons of mini courses in there. It's not just myself. It's other famous speakers and Qaris and Muftis that I particularly ask to speak about women's issues. So there's female speakers, male speakers, and but then with the actual sisterhood itself, it's obviously all women. Um, alhamdulillah, and the coaching and the mentorship, I think we have like a $300 coaching program for free for everybody inside. And what I literally did, it's funny as we're having this conversation, I'm literally in the middle of um, finalizing now is because of the handholding I told you women wanted before we used to have like libraries of courses and things. And we've now made it into levels, level one, two, three. So you literally can okay. walk in the door and start a journey and go at level one of self-awareness and understanding and baby steps for those overwhelmed women into deeper and deeper and deeper learning at whatever pace you want. So we literally made it more step-by-step -step now. Um, so it's something the women are really enjoying. And um, even in level three, we have it where um, they could access all of the courses I've ever made. So a lot of the women are really enjoying that new step-by-step, step. but for sure there is just, um, and it's totally free to try it, by the way. It's not, um, it's not necessarily like you have to, you know, dive in and say, I'm not sure if this is for me, just try it out if you want to. And Alhamdulillah, I'm sure we'll share the information or links with you, but if you look it up, Thrive Muslima, yeah. um, that should be it. And um, yeah, we hope it, it continues to benefit women worldwide. I mean, I mean, we hope so as well. Um, there's always help if you need it. Um, and I think that's why organizations like yours and ours exist is to make sure that there's always help. Um, specifically, if you know, you don't, we don't fit into the mainstream, unfortunately, but that doesn't mean that, you know, we don't have spaces that we can go to. So that's amazing. A lovely app. We're going to share um, all the links in the description below, um, inshallah. So please do look it up. Um, and I think, um, I think that brings us to the end. Subhanallah. Um, it was a lovely podcast. Thank you so much. Um, um, I think that is it. Oh, when you share, if you do share the Thrive Muslim, I would say don't share the direct link to the app if you share it where it is online, because if you do, it'll explain okay. everything inside. Where if you go directly yeah, through yeah, the app, it will, it will be like way less explanatory. And it's just kind of like join. And it's just the way Apple does it. We have like little control. Mm. But I think if you do from the other one, it's, it's much easier easier but no i just want to say like it was absolutely lovely and you're so easy to talk to and you're just so insightful and um, honestly like you. you can build on every idea i put forth so it's just really lovely to talk to you i don't find that always oh. i wish i did more often but no really really absolutely lovely yeah. we love the work you do um and thank and you. it's just we need more of that in the world so just thank you so much for all that you do Jazakallah khair for joining us. We hope you benefited immensely from that episode and all the relevant links that were discussed during the episode should be in the description below. Please don't forget to like, subscribe and share this video. We appreciate your feedback. If you have any guest recommendations or topic suggestions, please feel free to email us at podcast at inspiritedminds.org.uk and let us know your thoughts. We're a volunteer-led charity and we rely 100% on donations. Every single penny goes a long way to support people who are struggling with mental health problems. You can find our donation link in the description. And don't forget to check out our website for more content. Take care. Assalamu alaikum.